0: Good to see you. Glad you're here. If I haven't met you, I'm Grant, one of the teaching pastors. You can open your Bible, your app, or your outline to Exodus chapter 14. That's where we're going to be. A couple of weeks ago, I was on my way to a young elder coffee time early in the morning, pulled out of my driveway, took a left on Benson Road, and a squirrel ran right out in front of my truck. I'm an animal lover. I swerved to try and save his furry little existence. And as I passed over top of him, because I couldn't stop in time, I looked in my rear view and side view mirrors to see evidence of either life or splat. That's what I was looking for. I saw Neither. So there's nothing. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to keep on going. Drove to the church. It's about nine miles at an average speed of 50 miles an hour. Just coming down the guide like everybody does. Pulled into the parking lot, got out of my truck, closed the door. And as I took a step away, I heard a sound. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Like, this is not going to be good. So I got down on all fours in our parking lot. True story looked underneath of my truck and about 16 inches away from my nose, hanging inverted. Underneath of my vehicle was that squirrel. Still alive and intact. We made eye contact. He dropped, rolled over, and took off and is now living in the trees in front of our building. Okay? I named him Moses. All right? And if you see him, you can identify him because he has kind of a nervous twitch. You know, it's just he's, he's been traumatized. Came from Linden here to the promised land. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. So (laughs) Moses had one option, hold on or die. Okay. True story. Hold on or die. We use a phrase in our English language that summarizes when you're in that moment. And some of you are living that moment right now. Boy, I got real serious. You feel like your back's against the wall. Like you've got no choice. I know people from Christ the King over the past four years of financial turmoil and downsizing and job insecurity for, for a long time, out of work and out of options. And they would say, I feel like my back's against the wall. I know people who have their back against the wall relationally. You're facing an impending divorce, a dating relationship went sideways. Some of you are living that, that, that difficult flip when you start caring for your parents and it's just not easy. Some of you are dealing with a rebellious kid. You're not sure where to turn next. And if I was to, to come up and just say, how are you really doing? And you were honest, you'd say, I just, just feel like my back's against the wall. Some of you feel that way physically today. Some illness or disease is in your body and you've exhausted everything you know to do and you don't know where to go next. And your back's against the wall. I was at a hospice house this past week and every single room contained a person and a family and they don't know if this is the last summer or the last Christmas and their back is against the wall. I got an email from a high school kid this week. He's got a stack of college rejection letters on his desk. He's like, it's July, I don't know what to do. He used this phrase, I feel like my back's against the wall. Some of you just figured out why God brought you to church this weekend. I may not have described your specific situation, but you're thinking, ah, it's me right there. I feel like i am kind of run out of options. Like, I'm pinned. I don't know where to go. I'm against the wall. Well, this weekend, we're going to look at an Old Testament account where the people of Israel had their back against a wall of water, and they're out of options. People of Israel have been slaves in Egypt. Life is not good where they have been. And, 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 and if you read the first couple of chapters of the book of Exodus, you see God raises up a leader by the name of Moses, and he's not perfect. In fact, he's a murderer. He, he, he lacks courage. He's got a speech impediment. He's always freaking out. He's got an anger problem. There's somebody you'd want to follow, right? And Moses is put in charge, and, and he goes to Pharaoh because God tells him to, and he delivers the famous line, you let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. So God unleashes a series of plagues against the people of Egypt Flies and frogs and hail and boils and the list goes on and on and it escalates every single time until finally the oldest son in every Egyptian household dies. The oldest sons in all of the Israelite families are spared because they're told to put blood over top of their their doorposts and the angel of death that comes passes over. It's where we get the phrase Passover from. Finally, Pharaoh's had enough. You don't believe me. You can read your Bible. That would be cool. But Pharaoh has enough. And the Bible describes the Exodus. Exodus chapter 12, verse 31. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you've requested. And the Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country. It's just like, get out. We're done. We we give up. Your God is angry with us because we've held, held you as slaves. Just go. So the people leave. They pack up and beat a path out of Egypt, and the Egyptians are relieved for a little while. And then the Bible describes that, that actually out of the Exodus, the pursuit happens. It's the next blank in your outline. The Bible says this, Exodus 14, 5. When the king of Egypt was told the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their mind about them. Boy, that's classic, isn't it? and said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go and lost their services. I mean, suddenly the reality and the gravity of the decision that they've made hits them squarely in the wallet. That makes everybody wake up when it hits you in the wallet. Egyptians built their entire economic system on slave labor. No labor force, no economy. No economy, no Egypt. I mean, isn't it amazing that at the base of slavery is always the same thing, greed. And our nation's history doesn't allow us to just shift this over to the Egyptians, does it? Greed here too. People are willing to strip another person of their humanity for the sake of money, economic gain. And this is what happens. The Bible says this, Exodus 14, 9. The Egyptians pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea of Pihaharoth opposite Baal Zephon. So the Israelites are running and the Egyptians are chasing and they chase them to the coast of the Red Sea. I've got a map here so that you can understand. So here's modern day Egypt, modern day Israel up and to your right, Jordan, that area, and this blue section of water here that's the Red Sea. And the two little rabbit ears are where the Israelites get pinned. Now, some people classically put the Exodus up in, in way north of that in a water system that's up there. Okay. You can make a case for that. Nobody knows where the actual location is. Some people put it traditionally right here on this first little ear. I basically, because I'm a biblical literalist, I look for the archeological stuff like that. Traditionally, people would say that it actually happened down here. Okay. Nobody knows 100% for sure. But here's Egypt, and here's Israel. And Moses and his people are pinned. They've got nowhere to go. Here's what you need to know about the location. They were pinned, it was not the Red Sea, and they're trapped, and God needs to show up huge. That's what we need to know. This is what happens when they get pinned. Here's the response of the Israelites. The Bible says this. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and they, there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt you brought us out here to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. So this group of people starts complaining. The Bible says there were 600,000 men in the group. You multiply that by family. We're talking to two and a half million people here. That's like taking most of the chunk of Seattle and saying, We're walking across the country. This is no small thing. And they're all saying, What have you done, Moses? I want you to notice their responses here. Let's write them down, then we're going to talk about them fear, sarcasm, fatalizing. Those three responses. Boy, fear is a tough deal. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't make good choices. I'm not a good representation of Jesus when I'm scared. Years ago, I went on a, a, a missions trip to the Ukraine, and while we were there, what became known as the Orange Revolution break out, broke out. If you watch CNN, it looked like there was a civil war happening in the country. If you were actually there, it was just an excuse for a couple hundred thousand people to go and have a vodka party in downtown Kiev. That's literally the difference. But we're watching CNN. We're hearing rumors that the city of Kiev has been circled by the Russian army and that they are detaining foreigners and not allowing them to leave the country. I'm on my way into the middle of that with an American passport in my back pocket. And I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out. I'm looking for somebody to blame. I'm creating bad scenarios in my head. I can picture me, little Grant, in a Russian jail with a guard named Vladislav who's just a little bit bitter over the fact that the Americans beat the Russians in hockey in 1980, okay? You know, he's not forgotten Lake Placid. And I'm creating these desperately bad scenarios in my head, and I get wrapped in fear, and I do what the Israelites do. I get sarcastic. Thanks for showing up, Jesus. Thanks for the blessing of being on this missions trip, Jesus. Thanks for the peace that passes all understanding, Jesus. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God, except when I'm in the middle of a revolution. Don't pretend you've never done it, okay? You get these sanctimonious looks on your faces like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I would have stopped the car and prayed. Yeah. (laughs) I'll bet. I mean, just so you know, I got out fine. Showed up, no Russian army. Gave my ticket to the British Airways lady and flew to London. I mean, but I was in a strange place. Israelites are right there. And what's the deal, Moses? Were all the graveyards full in Egypt? You think the desert was a better place to die? I mean, can I just ask everybody a question here? When you have an issue at marriage or in work, have you ever found a scenario where sarcasm really helps? I mean, husbands, when you're just in the middle of a dispute with your wife, doesn't it just help the situation when you just throw a sarcastic zinger right down the middle of the plate? How'd that work for you guys? Employees, Right. You're in a tough situation at work. I mean, does it, does it taking a shot at your boss make it better? Some of you are like, yes, it does. <laughs> it's not <laughs> a roast, that idiot, you know? There's a word for lack of respect and dishonor in Scripture. The word sin. And that's what they fall into. They get all Sarcastic. In fact, I love this next one. They actually say, Didn't we say to you, Moses, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? I mean, this is what fear does. That's exactly the opposite of what they said. They were begging him to get them get him out of the country. Come on, Moses, save us, get us out of here. They literally twist the truth upside down. And then they do something else. It's like they start imagining how great their life used to be back in Egypt. We do that, don't we? We, we, we baptized almost 40 people last weekend. And I know for a fact, some of them are going to run into some really tough stuff over the next couple of weeks and they're going to be tempted to do this. I, I just want to go back to my old life. It was easier. You were a slave. The, Egyptian, the, the Israelites are like, we want to go back to Egypt where we had job security. You were a slave. I'm going to go back to my old life because my addictions were actually easier than following Jesus. Jesus. You were a slave. We were all slaves. But that's how it works, right? We start twisting the truth inside of our minds because we're scared. You know, you come up with scenarios in your mind of how this is going to work out. and Isn't it amazing that we always end up with the scenario ending bad? We fatalize. And into the center of that Jesus, the king, steps up and asks the question, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? They're scared. They're sarcastic. They start lying. They start imagining how bad it's going to be until Moses basically says, okay, stop. We're going to go with a new plan. This complaining and stuff, this is not working for anybody. It's not constructive. Here's the deal. Egyptians are coming. We need a better plan than whining, complaining, uh, fatalizing, getting all fear and sarcastic. We, We need a new plan. This is the call of Moses to his people. The Bible says this, Exodus 14. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you you need only be still. Let's unpack that. He says, don't fear. That's tough, isn't its it? so easy to be afraid. And I'll tell you what, when you got your back against the wall, that's the last thing you need somebody on a Sunday morning telling you, right? Come on. Suck it up. Let's go. Don't be afraid. I don't think that's what Moses is saying here. I think fear is is a regular part of being human. I don't think Moses is saying you need to banish your fear. I think Moses is saying you need to move into a fear not mentality. Let me, tell, let, let, me, let me just unpack this a little bit. I believe it's possible to fear not and not freak out. I believe that's possible. I think it's possible to discipline your mind when your thoughts are going crazy and you're fatalizing and throwing sarcasm everywhere. In fact, that's why scripture says take every thought captive. Let's talk about how you do that. You take every thought captive when you step out of the crisis you're in and you look at the long-standing faithfulness of God. I mean, it's so easy to get wrapped up in the moment. It's just like, God left. He abandoned me. I've been, I've been doing this for like 40 some years as a human being. And I can tell you this, as I look back on my life, if I turn around and I see the crises that I've walked through the ups and the downs, the one thing that helps me is the steadiness of God through the entire story. Some of you watch the stock market. It drives you crazy because that's your security. It's like, it's up, it's down, it's up, it's down, and you're up, you're down, you're up, you're down. Here's what we need to know about all that stuff. Through all of it, God is faithful. And when you look back over the long-standing faithfulness of God, it allows you to step off of this roller coaster, this up and this down. Parents, I remember what it's like to have a couple of toddlers. It's like herding cats, right? And they're running a thousand directions and you're exhausted and you don't know where to go next. And it's really easy to get caught up in the crisis of that moment and get all sarcastic and wrapped in fear unless you look at at parenting from the long-term view. Here's the deal. That moment that you're living in is one of a series of moments that that is described in your influence of somewhere between 18 and 20 years. And that moment, as bad as it may seem, pretty soon will be a memory. And you just need to be faithful in the moment because God's faithful in the moment. I think it's possible to fear not and not freak out. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, God has not given us a spirit of fear, a spirit of freaking out, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. I remember a moment right here in this location when I was freaking out. Almost a decade ago, which is hard for me to believe, I became the senior pastor here at Christ the King Community Church, and this room did not even exist. It was just a big open hole. And there were dirt piles in this room. And one of the piles, my favorite pile, was right here where the preaching platform is, And I would come in here freaking out because we had no idea if we were even going to make it to the next week. Everything that we knew to be true was flipped upside down. Some of you remember, you came on that Easter expecting one thing and you ended up with me standing in front of you. What is going on? You think you were freaking out? Should have been on my side of the microphone. And I remember coming and sitting on that dirt pile and saying, God, I have no idea what we're doing. There's no grand plan. There's no master plan. And we had to make a decision. Were we going to step out in faith and finish this project and believe that God was going to be strong? Or were we going to just shut the whole thing down and red tag the whole deal? The elders of Christ the King Church made a decision that we were going to step out in faith and keep moving. I followed their lead, not the other way around. And I had this verse in the back of my mind. If God is for us, who can possibly be against us? And that's what allowed us in that moment to, to fear not. Secondly, Moses says this stand firm. This is tough when you're scared because I'm sure the Israelites were probably thinking options. Okay, we're going to split two and a half million people. And we're going to go both directions up the coast. I'm sure some of them were just like, just pick up a sword. Let's fight our way out of it. Not good options. More Egyptians than Israelites, right? I'm sure some of them were like, let's swim. And that's a great option, right? Either way, they're dead. And they're teaching us something here. We need to learn how to do this. We learn, need to learn how to say, I am not going to freak out. I'm not going to do something stupid. I'm not going to do something irrational. No, I'm going to stop in this moment. I'm going to drive a stake of faith into the ground. And I'm going to give God some time to work this out. I'm going to be obedient to 1 Peter 5, 9 that says, resist the devil and stand firm. Some of you are facing a situation today and the most constructive thing you could do is just stand firm. Don't move. Put your feet on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, the one who knows all about your situation and make this determination. I'm going to drive a stake of faith right here, attach myself to it, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to look at his long-standing faithfulness in my life. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to bolt. I'm not going to try and plan my way out of this. I'm just going to stand right here on Christ, the solid rock. I stand all other ground sinking sand, and I'm allergic to sinking sand, so I'm not moving. Just stand firm when you're tempted to just bolt. Then he says this. I need you guys to expect God to help. He says, you see all these Egyptians? They're going to be gone by the end of today. You can't see it, but I promise you God's going to show up huge. You know, I've learned this to be true in my own life. Your real theology comes out when you're in crisis. You know, we talk a big game, don't we? God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Really? How about when you've got cancer? we talk a big game. When we get squeezed, that's what we really believe. Do we really believe God heals? We figure that out when we're sick. Do we really believe God can be trusted? We figure that out when everything around us is just flying apart. My question is, are you really expecting God to help? Can you say with confidence, God's with me and for me? I mean, I've, I just, I've done this in my life. When I'm under pressure My true colors come out, and I either press into God or I walk away. There's a pattern in Scripture that says when God's people declare that they are going to stay and stand firm, then God begins to do things. We're not running the show, but He responds to our faith when we say, God, I'm not moving. People can call me an idiot, I don't care. I believe you are who you said you were. I believe your promises are true. So I'm going to stand right here. Psalm 121 David asks the question I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where in the world is my hope? Where's my help going to come from? And then he answers his own question I know where my help comes from. My help comes from the maker of those hills. That's who's with me. And then finally, let's add one more. Moses says, Be still. Can I interpret the Hebrew for you here? It means be still. Stop talking. Stop moving. Stop trying to create 25 ways that you can have a better life by next Thursday. Stop scrambling. Stop managing your image. Stop lying and telling everybody, I'm just fine. Just stop. Be still and know that He is God. Psalm 46.10. Moses lays out a new plan. Don't fear, stand firm, expect God, be still. How well does that describe how you responded the last time your life went upside down? (laughs) Not me. (laughs) Last time I was up against a wall, this would better describe it. Freak out, run like the wind, expect bad, and shake nervously. (laughs) You know, these guys need a miracle. Back against a wall of water, enemy coming, nowhere to go. The reality is it's not a bad place to be. Because the first prerequisite to a miracle is an impossible situation. Let's just let that soak in for a second. The first prerequisite to a miracle is an impossible situation. They got nowhere to turn, nowhere to run, but to God. And this is what Scripture says happens. Whether you believe it or not, this is what Scripture says happens. I've been asked the question a lot, Grant, in order to love Jesus, do I have to believe the Old Testament? My question is this, if you can't believe God can part the Red Sea, what do you do with the pregnant virgin in the New Testament? I mean, it's one sweeping epic, that's how it goes. Literally, the Bible says that God breathes out, out of his nostrils, God sneezes, he exhales violently, and the Red Sea parts. Water on the right, water on the left, dry ground down the middle. People are like, that's not possible. That's why it's a miracle. That's why it's a miracle. It defies logic. God splits the sea and, the, and Moses and his people just start walking. A couple of million people. took a while. They start stepping out. Can you imagine being an Israelite in that moment? I am walking through a sea. People have floated on top of a sea People have swum in a sea. I am one of very few people in human history that are walking through a sea on dry ground. That would be worth saying thank you to God for, don't you think? I mean, I, you know, we'd just be like, "Oh, whatever, you know <laughs> He splits the sea with a blast of his nostrils, and the people walk through on dry ground. Same God that floated Noah, did creation, showed up big. Here's the deliverance, Exodus fourteen twenty nine. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left. They get through. Every one of them gets to the other side. Then God inhales and the Egyptians are swept away under a wall of ocean. All of these Egyptians, they're going to be gone by the end of today. Because God's going to fight for you. If you'll just expect. Stand firm. Fear not. Just be still. You know, I uh, I'm amazed at how quickly I forget things. How many of us have already forgotten the economic collapse of 2008, when we all figured out that the idol of money wasn't nearly as secure as we thought it was. How quickly we forget 2003 when this church got completely flipped on its ear. And we had nowhere to run and nowhere to hide, but God showed up. How quickly we are to forget September 11th and how a whole nation came running back to church because we didn't know where to go, and we were scared. The sad, tragic thing about this story is in a very short amount of time, the people of Israel forget how God showed up. Let's not forget. You know how we do that? When our back's against the wall, we fear not. We stand firm. We expect God to show up and do something huge and then we're just still. Let's do something crazy. Why not? Um, Ever since I started talking, some of you were like, I have no idea. How does that guy up front know what I'm going through? I have no idea. But I just watch body language in the services And I just see people look at the floor. And the reality is, in a room of this size, there's a whole bunch of people here. And you're just against the wall, and you have no idea what Monday and Tuesday holds for you. Some of you are sick. Some of you are relationally just, I have no idea how God's going to fix this. Some of you, you're out of work, and you don't know where the next meal's coming from. I get that. And I cannot let you just walk back out into your world with some nice words and some scripture without you experiencing what it feels like to just know that God hasn't forgot you. So I'm going to ask you to do something. One of the things I love about this place is it's authentic and transparent. That's why I cry all the time. People ask me, is that real? Ask my wife but I see pain all over the place. And it just breaks my heart when I think that people take the same pain they came in with and and walk out the same way instead of leaving it here. So I'm gonna ask you to do something courageous. I don't want you to think about the person to your right and left. I just want you to think about you right now. If, If you could describe your life, your present circumstance right now with this statement, my back's against the wall. I'm gonna ask you to do something. Would you just stand up right now? I'll stand with you. Just just stand. Awesome. Oh, God bless people for courage. Just stand up. There's nothing to be embarrassed or ashamed about. It's like I got my back against the wall. Some of you didn't ask for it. You didn't plan for it. There you are. Okay, this is what we're going to do. God picked the people who are sitting around you. So I'm going to ask one or two people who are sitting around you right now to stand up and go and stand with that person and just put your hand on their shoulder. And the reason they're going to do that is just so you can feel what it feels like for one of God's people to touch you, okay? And nobody no, we don't want anybody left alone, okay? Nobody stands alone. And you're just going to be a vessel just a reminder that God hasn't forgotten them. God's so good. Just look around. If there's somebody standing by themselves, just just move. And you don't have to. It's not a contest. But you, would you join me? Let's just pray for people who are courageous, courageous enough to say, I just feel like I'm stuck. Back against the wall, okay? Would you join me? Let's pray, church. Let's pray. Father God, we have no idea what the stories are, but you know them. And Lord, I pray right now this Those who stood, courageously stood, as they feel the hands of God's people on their shoulder, I pray that they would just know that's just a representation of God Himself. It's His hands saying, I've not forgotten you. I know your name, I know your story. And this is what I'm saying fear not. Stand firm. Expect me to show. Just be still. Just right now. Just be still. God, whether it's a divorce or a sickness or a job or a broken family or a rebellious kid or just sin that caught up with us, we pray in the name of Jesus that everyone who stood would know the God of the Red Sea is here and he's with them. So Lord, give them the courage to just face this week, Lord. And I pray in faith, believing that you're going to show up big. That you're going to part the waters, that you're going to make dry ground, and you're going to allow them to walk. It may not be instant, but God, I believe you're going to show up. Because that's what you do. Lord, help them to look back over your faithfulness. Lord, if they are upright and taking nourishment, you have been good to them. So Lord, would you just stand with them today? Hold them, Jesus, would you please? May they know they are loved by their church and loved by God, and the same God who parted the Red Sea is with them and for them. We give you all praise and glory for their courage and those who've gathered around to pray right now. And we ask that you would show up strong this week. And it is in Jesus' good name that we pray and all God's people agreed together and said, amen.